of those, it's January and every pastor preaches on this sermon, but you'll get over it. And I really was like, really, God? Like, seriously, I'm not like one of those people that likes to do that. But he, what he really put on my heart was the importance of fasting. But you can't really talk about fasting without talking about feasting. In the Bible, in the Old Testament in particular, they were commanded to have weeks, days of feasting where they could eat more than normal and they could enjoy these different things. And they also learned about fasting. One of the best feasting things that I love in there is, you know, with the tithe, a lot of times the tithe was used for food. And uh, thank you guys. I'm sorry. I forgot to dismiss the kids. And so they would have, once every three years, they would take all of their tithe and they would put it in a storehouse. That way any of the widows or people that needed food, orphans, the um, Levites in the area, they would have food. Then they would take their tithe once every three years, and they would go to Jerusalem to eat it with all of everybody from their household in front of the temple. Now, it said, if you, where you have to go is too far to bring all of your tithe, then you could sell it all and take that money. And when you arrived in Jerusalem, when you sat down in front of the temple with your family to eat your tithe that year, it said that you could go and buy whatever you wanted, whatever you desired, whatever you liked. You should buy that and eat it. And so God loves it when we feast, and he commands us to do that. And I don't know about you, but from about, I won't say... Halloween, I'll say Thanksgiving, from about Thanksgiving, right, until New Year's Eve, I feasted a little bit, right, and it wasn't because I was in the kitchen baking, it was because of wonderful people like you bringing things in, and me getting excited and taking it home, and, and I think that, you know, we kind of get around to January, and we're like, okay, it's a new year, the feasting time is done, right, we go on these diets, we do these different things, and it, it does make us think, okay, the Bible tells us to feast, but what does it say about fasting? Fasting is actually in the Bible mentioned and described in different ways over 70 times. What's interesting is forgiveness or forgive is, you know, forgives like 34 times, forgiveness is like 40 sometimes, and it ends up being forgiveness and forgive and the concept of forgiving ends up being a little more than fasting, but it's pretty close. I was surprised. Now, if I were to say all to you, is it important to forgive? Everybody should be like, yeah. Is that important for your time here on earth? Well, yeah. Now, it's also very important for your spiritual life, you know, in heaven on the other side as well. And fasting, though, is, I think, just as important as forgiving with our earthly life in our day-to-day -day life and that's why it's in the bible now i like to take a side note whenever possible to throw in the science right because there's a lot of people that say oh, i'm an atheist because i'm into science and science proves god's not real and i'll be like i don't know what kind of science you're looking at but we can look at god's word and we can see things that he told people to do who lived in a desert over 5,000 years ago that scientifically are true. 
And so, and I could go on and on. I can, I can do a whole sermon on that, and I'm not doing that today, but I have to throw this out here. We have now discovered through science that when you fast, cancer cells go away. Your immune system reboots itself. It goes on and on. If you have asthma and you have the histamine in your lungs, if you do a longer fast, like a week or two weeks, that all goes away. I, there's actually a documentary on this. It's called The Science of Fasting. It used to be on Amazon, and then you could find it on YouTube. And the last time I tried to send it to somebody who had been diagnosed with cancer, I had to buy the DVD off of Amazon. But it might be on Netflix by now, I don't know, because they put all the shows on different platforms at different times. But if you're ever truly interested in the health benefits of fasting, I highly recommend it. And it's not a religious thing. It's, it's very secular. Um, however, I did find it really interesting. They, they throughout this hour-long video, they kind of hit different things. But one of the things I thought was really cool <laughs> was they finally can come to this conclusion that the average man can fast for 40 days comfortably and it not affect him in a negative way. And I thought, how cool is that, that God sends Jesus, right, 2,000 years ago, and obviously God knows that the average guy is going to try to at least, you know, if, if they're spiritual and they're trying to fast like Jesus did at least 40 days, and the average person can fast 40 days. Isn't that just amazing, like how good our God is, that even when he goes and shows us the example of the extreme, it, the, it's the, what the scientists are now saying is this, is this is the max, you know, after that, you then start having muscle breakdown and different things, but the average person can at least go to 40 days. So we know scientifically that fasting is good for us. You know, there's some people that say, oh, no, it's not good for you, this and that. Now, if you have a medical condition and you're taking medication that has to do with your eating, like if you're, taking, if you're di diabetic, right, and you're taking medication to bring your blood sugars down when you eat and then you're not eating, so there is no blood sugar, you know, there's no sugar in your system, then yes, fasting could affect you. So I'm not saying that you... This is like everybody can just do this, right? You may need to go talk to your medical doctor, so that's my disclosure, right? Everyone has to use their common sense with their body and what's going on, but don't use that as a reason to never fast. You can fast, you just need to have your doctor tell you whether or not you should take your medication or not. What we have found scientifically is diabetics who fast, especially type two diabetics, they do amazing. They do so much better. Their liver goes down. Their different enzymes. It, it just their blood sugar um, gets absorbed out of their system, and so it's actually quite healthy for you to fast. Okay. So we know the Bible tells us to do it. We know that scientifically, the scientists have said, "Wow, this is amazing. It is taking cancer away from people. It is doing this. It is doing that." So we know that it's good for us, and so. You know, we kind of say, well, well, why should we do it? Why should we fast? Now, because there's over 70 different references in the Bible, you're going to have to take my word on some of these, and you're going to have to go do the research yourself if you want to double-check me. But we see throughout the Bible times where people were seeking guidance, where people fasted because of grief, where people fasted due to repentance, where people fasted to humble themselves, where people fasted to seek deliverance, 
where people fasted to worship. And, you know, sometimes we can look at some of the different things in the Bible and say, well, this was really an Old Testament thing. We don't see after Jesus came that the, you know, the new believers did these things. And in some cases, you could say that, but with fasting, you can't. How did Jesus start his ministry? He fasted. Fasted for 40 days. We see that while he was with his disciples, they didn't fast. And we see this here um, in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 33. Some people came and questioned Jesus, and they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Now, Jesus didn't say, well, that's because you never need to fast. They've got me. They're always going to have me. They don't need to fast. He didn't say that. Jesus answered and said, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. So he wasn't saying that his disciples shouldn't fast or never will fast. He's saying they're not fasting yet. Right now, they're with me, and it's not time to fast. What I love about that is he does tell us, right, there's certain times when maybe you shouldn't fast, right? Like during a feasting time. If you've got a good friend and they're going to have a big wedding celebration, maybe you should take that into account when you're looking at your calendar and deciding when you're going to fast. Maybe you start afterwards or maybe you finish up before you go. But he didn't say they wouldn't. What's interesting is when the Pharisees would fast, when John's disciples would fast, they would also pray. Prayer is a big part of the fasting. We see with Esther. If you're not familiar with the story of Esther, I highly recommend you go to your Old Testament, you pull it out. It's not that long. The children of Israel had been taken to just different places, and one of the kings, King Xerxes, at one point is looking for a bride, and a Jewish girl gets picked. She has favor from God, and she becomes the queen. Something happens, though. Unbeknownst to her, somebody comes along and makes a decree that they should kill all the Jewish people. And the only person that could help was the king. So some of the Jewish people, knowing that she was a Jew, came to her, the queen, and says, we need you to go and talk to your husband. Now, she's the queen because the other wife kind of made him mad, and he had her, you know, taken out. So she's like, um... I don't know. <laughs> and they were like, don't you think that when we all get taken out that you're not going to get taken out? Don't try to save your own skin. Like, you know, how do we not know that if just you were here put in this position for this time and place? So you know what she has them do? She says, all right. Me and my entire household are going to fast for the next three days. You go tell every single Jewish person that you can find to fast for the next three days. And during that time, we're going to pray to God. I love that. She didn't say, okay, go find every official you can find and have them talk to my husband and talk good about me. So then that way, in three days, when I show up, he will welcome me into his presence. And I'm going to spend the next three days with beauty treatments. She didn't say that. Why? Because her husband was not the source. She knew God was the source. She knew God, all he had to do was whisper in that man's ear. She knew that all of them needed to cry out to God. And when they were doing that, they were going to put their flesh down. 
and say, this time of my life is not to indulge my flesh, my body, my emotions about this. You don't get a say. Because they knew, they understood that you're a three-part being. And when you're here on earth, your body wants the chocolate. Your spirit might know, that is bad for me, I should not eat it. But your emotions and your body work together to say, oh, just give me what I want. I don't have to think about my problems, it's going to make me feel good. Or the alcohol, or the whatever. But see, fasting takes away the body's desires, it takes away the emotional comfort, and now... For the time when you're fasting, your only reliance, your only comfort, your only source is God. And so she didn't say, go and just have them pray. She's like, no, have them fast and pray. They're going to put down their flesh. They're going to put down their soul and their emotions. They're going to, during this time, their only source is going to be God. And we're going to pray to God. So that way, when I go stand before him without being asked that he won't have me killed, but that he'll allow me to come into his presence. And they did. They prayed and they fasted. And we see again in the book of Daniel, where again these, these children of Israel get taken. And what they would do is, you know, they didn't have books on tape or universities and encyclopedias. So when they would go, these different countries would go and take over a, a country, a land, a government, they would take all the wisest people they had and say, okay, we're going to let you live, but all that knowledge and all that studying you've done, we're going to add you to the collection of wise men we have. So whenever they had a question, whenever they had a problem, their, their hope was that all these, just like they collected gold from different countries, all the wise guys that they collected from other countries, somebody would know the answer. So to keep these guys happy, to make sure that they're not going to lie to their new king, they would let them have whatever food they wanted, whatever pleasures they wanted. They, you know, they could, they could have, you know, women, they could have food, they could have comforts. They had a certain area where they would keep all of these guys. Now, some of the Jewish guys, though, went. It was Daniel that we know of. He listed Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, which is actually wasn't their Jewish names, but I can't pronounce their Jewish names, so we'll go with that. And these Jewish men were told you could eat whatever you want. Now, the Jewish culture is very clear about you can have certain meat, and maybe the meat they had was actually meat they could eat, but you had to know how it was killed. Because if, if a cow fell over because of disease, God does not want you to eat it. We still have that rule here in the U.S. If a cow cannot walk on its own volition into a slaughterhouse, they cannot accept it. So if the cow is so sick that it can't walk anymore, we will not cut up sick meat and put it in our grocery stores. It's not allowed. And so these men did not want to eat any meat. That's why they didn't want to eat the, any meat, because they didn't know how the meat was collected. And so they went, and Daniel was a spokesperson, and he said, we, we can't eat your meat. We can't, you know, can we just have some vegetables and some fruit? And they were, the, the guy that was in charge, he's like, I am responsible for your lives. And if you only eat meat and vegetables and you get sick and you die, I'm going to be in trouble and it's going to be my head. So what are you talking about? You're not going to eat meat. 
and he was like, please, you know, that goes against our rules, our customs, our God. And, you know, we're going to just eat vegetables for a while. And you see how we look at the end of this. Now, you know, this is now what we call the Daniel fast. Now, Daniel did this for a very particular reason. But he not only did it for the, to know whether how the meat was, was killed, they knew in that culture that the comfort of the flesh was going to take them down a road of what they considered paganism. Because food was just one step in letting your body have whatever it wants. If I can just eat whatever I want, well, then I can do whatever I want, and I can sleep whenever I want, whatever, right? The whole point of self-discipline of fasting is to put down the desires of the flesh and to say, right, the spirit is willing, right, but the flesh is weak. Well, why is the flesh weak? Because the flesh gets what it wants all the time. So then when all of a sudden you try to tell the flesh, we're no, we're going to do it this way, flesh doesn't want to. Now you got this tug of war going on. And God knows that the way our bodies work, that if you give in, what is, well, we know what it is. It becomes a habit. If you get up every single day and your mother fed you bacon and eggs and toast every day from the time you were two years old until you turned 18, it's most likely that you think breakfast needs to have meat and eggs and bread, right? Now, where there's other people where maybe they had cereal. Every morning they got up and they just got a bowl of cereal. And now they grow up and as an adult, they think that breakfast consists of cereal. Now, which one's right or wrong? Neither, right? You can have either for breakfast. But how we create this habit in our flesh. And so when we fast, when Daniel was the spokesperson and really got permission from all of them, he's telling them, look, we don't have to eat whatever, we don't have to be like the pagans. We can tell our flesh no. And they were, their bodies, their physical bodies were just as healthy, if not healthier, than the, all the other ones that ate the meat. They went on to have you know, great success while they were there. You would think, well, but Mary, they had great success for a foreign king. The name of Jehovah was praised because of their knowledge. And if you read through the entire book of Daniel, which is way longer than Esther, so you got to skip around a little bit and look for the headlines where it talks about Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, where it talks about Daniel and read about the lion's den. That's kind of cool. Um, and if you have time, you can read through all of it, but I recommend you kind of pick and choose in the beginning. But this story there that he records of what happens shows us that we are going to be put in positions where our flesh can have whatever it wants. It doesn't mean we have to give it that. We need to say, there's a time for feasting, and there's a time for fasting. And if I live my whole life with feasting, right, it goes beyond food. It goes into your entire attitude. Well, of course I'm not going to exercise. My body doesn't like that. Of course I'm going to spend all my money and not save anything for the future. My emotions want that. Of course, of course, and it goes on and on and on. And so we, as Christians, say, have to look at this and say, okay, God didn't give us rules to make our life here on earth hell. God gave the children of Israel 
examples and outlines and show them how to live a life of heaven on earth. And heaven on earth means that there's going to be times where I feast and let my body have this enjoyment and enjoy the goodness of God and the fruits of our labor here on earth. But then there's also going to be times where, and science can tell you, where I'm going to make my body way healthier because I'm going to fast for three days once a year. And if there's any cancer cells that are starting to grow, man, they're going to be eaten up. What happens is your body, because it's looking for calories, begins to send out these things that looking for rogue cells. And what they're discovering in the lab is that when you fast, after about 24 hours, as you get into 36 hours, 48 hours, that all of the natural sugars that were in your bloodstream are gone. And now they really go out looking for rogue cells that don't belong. And when they get to the cancer cells, they say, what are, why, why haven't these been taken care of? Well, I've been too busy. I've had so much sugar. I've had so much stuff going on. I, I didn't need to pay attention. Well, now, because I haven't had anything for the last couple days, now all of a sudden I'm looking for something extra. And they go and they find those cancer cells. They begin to eat them. So tumors will shrink. Your kidneys get better. It filters them out. Your liver, which gets really enlarged when you're drinking a lot or having a lot of sugar in your system, begins to shrink down because your body is using anything extra that really shouldn't be there. But what they found is interesting is all of your good organs, anything that is working well, it puts this protective cell layer around it. And it protects all of your good organs because it's saying, oh, we're going through a fasting period. I don't know what's going on. We're going to protect all these areas. Oh, wait a minute. This area is disease. We're going to go in here and attack the disease spots. We're going to take anything we can. We're going to break it down. We'll use that then as our energy. So it's really, it's really cool, right? So God is telling us to do these things because it is healthier for us. Just like when he says, wash your hands before you eat, that we do that because it's healthier for us. So we see with Esther how they go to God for guidance, for favor, for deliverance in this time. And they put their flesh down while they do that, so their focus is on God. We see with Daniel how, you know, they're not going to eat food that they're not sure if it's going to be healthy or not. They'd rather have that period where they just do the vegetables, and it reminds their bodies that they're not going to indulge in all the earthly desires and, and comforts that this new culture is going to give them. And what about Jesus, right? He starts off with fasting. We see here in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of the time he was hungry. Why do people not fast? Because it's hard. What happened to Jesus while he was fasting? Satan tempted him. Why does Satan tempt us when we're trying to get closer to God? Because he knows that if you follow through with this, something amazing is going to happen. We see here, it says, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, so we know the Holy Spirit led him to do this. He was led into the wilderness where he, for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of it, he was hungry. It goes on to describe the temptations. But in verse 14, it says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Forty days, he did not preach. 
For 40 days, he did not perform healings. For 40 days, he told his flesh, you are not in charge of me. He told his emotions, I don't care how hard this is, you are not in charge. For 40 days, he went to God. The Holy Spirit led him to do this. And when he left that time, he was full of power. So much power that when he began to go out and teach, the people were just in awe of what was going on. You want things to change in your life, and you cry out to God. Well, it's kind of like, you know, you can do go to the first level with asking for help, or you can go all in and come out totally full of power. And that's what fasting does to prayer. It amplifies that prayer time. And it's not that God can't hear you when you're eating a piece of cake praying. Because I tell you what, I've prayed a lot of prayers while I was eating cake, and God heard me. When you fast and pray, not only is God hearing you and going to help you, but you are being transformed from the inside out. And all of a sudden, during those day, meal, three days, week, whatever it is, while you're, you're going to God for something, and you're fasting while you're praying about it, all of a sudden, you're beginning to change in the inside. Your habits begin to change. This concept begins to change. Who is in charge becomes relevant. Sometimes, I know, there's times when people fast where it's like all of a sudden they got a hello moment where they're realizing like, oh my gosh, something happened back here and that's what drives me to drink or to eat or to whatever. And all of a sudden during that time, they're here, they are praying to God to help them with maybe with their finances. And during that time of fasting and prayer, they got to deal with all of a sudden what's driven them to these different things because it comes up. Because it's hard, right? It's hard to put that down. And all of a sudden now, three weeks later, when they're about to be impulsive and make a bad financial decision, what they just learned changes that habit. You would think, well, why does a food habit change our financial habit? Because that person came face to face with the issues that were pushing them and directing them. And now all of a sudden, that realization that their emotions don't have to control them can now be applied in other areas of their life. See, God knows what we need. And he has tried over the years and through, through the Holy Spirit, through the New Testament, through the Old Testament, to show us when you have a relationship with me, you still have a relationship with yourself here on earth. And you can just look at me and say, okay, you take care of this part, and I'm going to live whatever I want down here. You can do that and know the Lord. But if you would participate with me and you would take these concepts that I have, your time here on earth could be full of power, just like Jesus's was. And that power is different for all of us because we're all called to do different things. But when we begin to, what they say, get your own house in order, you know, kind of get your attitude, it really doesn't start with even your house. It starts with inside of your heart. What is driving you? What can you not say no to? What can you not say yes to? There should be no absolutes in your life. 
You should always be able to have the ability to let the Holy Spirit guide you in that moment. And if in that moment the Holy Spirit's whispering in your ear and you let your body and your flesh or your emotions dictate what you do, doesn't matter how loud God is, then he is not the Lord of your life. I mean, let's just be real. He might be your Savior, but he is not the Lord. You listen to the Lord that word, I mean, if you're like an England person, you know, oh, there's Lord so-and-so and lady so-and-so and the Lord of the manor, the Lord of the land, he's the one in charge and you had to do what he said to do. You have a Lord over your life and it might not be God. It might be your flesh. You might be the Lord over your own life. And the whole point of saying, look, you can have times of feasting. Have fun. Go to the wedding and rejoice. Right? Go to grandma's house on Thanksgiving and do not tell her that you're watching what you eat that day. She's going to be offended and sad and be like, what, really? Let that be a day of feasting. Now, you know, if tomorrow has to be a day of fasting, then let tomorrow be a day of fasting. But you're choosing in that moment. Sometimes people aren't even lured over their life because, you know, and then that goes into the other end with the, like anorexia or bulimia, right, where where your flesh says, no, I won't take in anything. And you control yourself the opposite way. And again, nothing should be an extreme on one end or the other. You should always be able to say yes or no. You should be led by the Spirit. There should be days of feasting. There should be days of fasting. There should be being generous with your money. And there's days then to be saving your money. There is this back and forth in every single area of your life. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to guide us. What should I invest in? I mean, we go to God's word. It says, you know, that he wishes for us to be able to give to all good works. I don't know if they understood that by 2023, there are literally millions of charities that we could give to. But what is the good work in your life, in your area, that you see, that you're affected by, that your community is affected by, that the Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear to invest in? If you're able to pray for it, to volunteer for it, and to give to it, by all means, do all three. But your flesh isn't going to want you to. Your emotions aren't going to want you to. Right? There's, there's all these different ways that our body tries to be the Lord. We, some of it we call, oh, that's selfishness, or that's gluttony, or that's greed, or that's laziness, or that's, right? The, the world, we've tried to put words to all these things. But they all go back to your flesh is the Lord. And your flesh dictates what it wants and what it feels like. And God wants us to be able to say he is the Lord of our life. Think about it when, when this young ruler, this young man comes up to Jesus and says, you know, I want to follow you. I want to do everything. And he looked at him and he said, go and sell all of your possessions and come and follow me. And he went away very sad because he was quite rich. How sad is that? Because God could have multiplied back everything to him. He could have had possessions worth a million dollars and he could have sold them all off and followed the Lord for the next two years and then in the end had something so much greater and so much better. Just like chocolate is not the end-all be-all, money is not the end-all be-all. Some people think that, you know, that greed or not having money is the problem or having money is the problem 
it's, it's about your heart that's the problem. It's never about what you have or don't have. It's about with what, what is my heart attitude with what I do have or what I don't have because some of us, you know, end up being envious or greedy or angry because people have more than us. But that's a whole other sermon. Many places in the book of Acts, it talks about fasting. I was trying to find the perfect one for all of you, and I just stopped looking. If you haven't read the book of Acts yet, add that to your list. I think we're at Esther, Daniel, and now the book of Acts. So this is going to be an interesting week. I'm going to have a quiz for you all next Sunday. I will not. Don't come, not come, because you were worried. I am joking. But in the book of Acts, they what was interesting is, is before the Holy Spirit came, the Jewish culture, they would, like, throw lots. The, um, even the head priests would have, a, have, like, a row with different stones on it, and they would, you know, try to, like, hear from God and um, kind of do these different types of drawings and things to see which way they should go. But once the Holy Spirit came, they realized they didn't have to do that anymore. They didn't have to do rock, paper, scissors, shoot. You know, they didn't have to do that. All they had to do was to pray and to fast and wonderfully, they would be able to hear God's voice very clear. If you are going through a period in your life where you're like, Mary, I don't, just don't know what to do, I'll fast with you. I fasted with a lot of people. I'll say to them, let's fast for the next three days and pray about this. Again, why are we fasting to hear God's voice? Can't he talk to me while I'm eating the chocolate cake? Yeah, he can not only hear your prayer, but he can talk to you too. But if your flesh is so in charge that you are no longer hearing his voice, but you're only hearing what your flesh wants, it makes it really hard to hear his voice. And so we can fast and be guided by God. He said that they would fast and then make a decision about who to send. They would fast and then anoint somebody and send them out. They would fast for numerous reasons throughout the book of Acts. We see that. I love this here, though, as we wrap up. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about fasting. And about the blessings that come because of fasting. Matthew 6, verse 16 says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, I, I love it because he didn't say if you fast. He says, but when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others. He didn't say, so no one will ever find out you're fasting. People are going to know you're fasting. Those that are closest to you. I have prepared a lot of meals for my family and sat down at the dinner table with them and had no plate in front of me. When they were younger, they would always say, why aren't you eating? I'd be like, I'm not eating today. Now they just say, oh, mom's fasting. Right? And I sit there with them. I always do the same things I do at dinner. What was the best part of your day? And we talk about our day because there's always a best part. I don't care how bad your day was. You can find one part of it that was better than the rest. That's what we're going to talk about. You can let it not be obvious, though. You don't have to make such a big deal. Most people, the first time they fast, they, you know, it's a kind of a big deal, and they tell everybody they know. That's great. You got the reward. People think you're cool. That's okay. I've had a lot of cool days because I told somebody what I was doing. But he's trying to say to them, look, you're going to get your reward if you do that. But if you can not make it obvious, right, 
like, like again, your close families, your coworkers, somebody around you might, might be seeing that notice all of a sudden that you're not eating. But if you don't make it obvious, he says, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. God knows that it's hard to put your flesh down. And when we indulge our flesh, the reward we get is feeling the pleasure of whatever that might be in that moment. But if we can deny ourselves that momentary pleasure every once in a while and say, I am letting God be the Lord of my life, not my flesh, not my emotions. During that time, Father God sees it. He's hearing your prayers. He's trying to talk to you. He's trying to guide you. He's whatever you, whatever your reason why you're fasting. And he will reward your time for that. See, you're going to get a reward one way or the other while you're here on earth. You're going to either get your rewards here on earth or you're going to get your rewards in heaven. Again, that goes back to the money. Money and, and food can be seen like this. Jesus said, he says, where are your rewards going to be? Do you want to hoard your money here on earth where, where rust and moth destroy? Or do you want to invest in the kingdom where your money, you'll be rewarded in heaven, where moth and rust cannot come in? And it's the same thing with our flesh, with eating. Do you want your reward in the moment? Or do you want to be able to say, I'm going to take the next 24 hours, and I'm going to be praying about, should I take this job, should I not take this job? What are some practical things you should fast about or can fast about? Well, you really can fast and pray about anything. I mean, if you can pray to God about anything, you can fast about it too. I've had people who have prayed and fasted about sicknesses. I have had people pray and fast about who they should marry. Maybe they're like getting down to a point where somebody asks them to marry them or, or they're, you know, debating, should I go date? Should I go do this? Should I do that? Should I propose to this person? I've had men come to me and say, I'm going to fast for the next two days about whether or not I should propose. I've had people, business stuff, a lot of times with business stuff or with job situations or about financial situations. They'll pray and they'll fast and they'll ask God about that. It's okay to be specific. Really, if you're going to fast about something, you know, um, it's good to do that. You see through the Bible, think about Jonah when he went to Nineveh. He, said, he goes to them and he says, you have made God really mad and he's going to destroy your city. And then he goes up on the hill to watch it be destroyed. And what did the people do? They were like, maybe God will have mercy on us. And they prayed and they fasted. And he said, okay. Why? Because they put their flesh down. They had been indulging their flesh for weeks and years, and it had affected so many different people, and now the entire city was, it had a repentant heart, and they fasted, and he looked down and said, okay, this period of your fasting has changed your habit now, and now you realize I am real, real and that I am Lord, and I will let you live. David, when his son, he had had an affair, and he got a woman pregnant, and then he had the, man, the woman's husband killed, took her as his wife. When the baby was born, the baby was sick and the baby was dying. And David did not eat. And he prayed and he cried out to God. And he is saying, look, I indulged my flesh. I sinned. I did all this stuff. 
I am putting my flesh down and I am worshiping you. And I'm crying out to you. I know that you are the only one that can save this child. Do not let this child die because of me. And the baby died. And his guys that were surrounded him, they were freaking out. They were like, oh, my gosh, when the baby was sick, he hasn't eaten for days. And he has just, like, been laying in the same spot on the floor here. And, and what's going to happen if we tell him the baby is dead? Is he going to kill himself? Like, they were really, like, they didn't want to go tell him. And they didn't have to tell him because they were whispering in the corner. He, he kind of had this thought, and he looked over, and he says, the baby's dead, isn't it? They said, yes. And he went and he washed his face, and he went and ate. They were so perplexed by this, they went up to King David, and they said, wait a minute, when the baby was sick, you fasted, and now that the baby's dead, you're eating? Because many people in that culture, they would fast and mourn after the person died. In their grief, they would fast. Why would they do that in their grief? Because food would not be their comfort in grief. God would be their comfort in the grief. So they would deny the flesh while they were mourning and instead focus on God in prayer and let him be their comforter. And David said, look, I prayed and I fasted when the baby was still alive because the only one that could heal that baby was God. He said, the baby still died, and he, you know, he's like, mm, this, is, this is what happened. He's like, but I did that because I was crying out to the only one who could change the situation. So what should you pray and fast about? If it's something you can do, you don't need to pray and fast. Don't you dare go home and look at that pile of laundry and say, Lord, I'm not going to eat for three days. Let somebody do this laundry for me. That's not how it works. If you can do it, you do it. Don't say, I'm going to quit my job and just pray and fast and God will provide the money. No, you go to your work and go work. You bring the money in that way. But if you need a raise, if you need to be making more money than you got and you're doing your best, then that's God. Now God's got to figure out how to help you with that. Then you pray and fast and say, okay, Lord, I'm doing my best. I've done everything. Maybe there's something else that I need to be doing. you got to show me. I'm going to pray and fast for the next day or two or three. People will then ask me, Okay, well, I can, I can pray and fast for anything that I cannot do that God needs to do. But for how long? God will honor whatever you decide to do. But whatever you decide to do, try to stick to it. But be wise in the beginning. If you've never, ever fasted before, it's a discipline. It's something new. You're putting your flesh down. Most of us have never put our flesh down. I wouldn't recommend Two weeks off the fat, because that's really just not realistic. Have you done a day? Have you ever fasted a meal? Have you ever fasted an afternoon? Have you gotten up, had breakfast, said, I'm not eating until tomorrow? That's a good place to start. Once you go from a day, then you go to a day and a half, then you can go to two days, then you can go to three days. Most people don't do beyond three days. And again, you have to make that decision. I always re recommend you at least tell one person. Now, again, you're not going and trumpeting it from the housetops. And if you have people in your house, they're probably all going to know. But, you know, if you, at least one other person knows, then you know one day they're going to ask you, how'd you do? What's interesting is when I have fasted for diet reasons, I've always failed. But when I have fasted for spiritual reasons, and again... 
my heart and my understanding and my desire to do this has been since I was a child. So we won't say how many decades that is. But again, this is, this is my situation. When I pray and I fast for God for a specific reason, I am now at the point where it isn't even, food's not the temptation. I'm not even tempted to eat. I don't want to eat. Because it doesn't matter if my husband's not home and doesn't see me. God sees me. Like for me, this is, this is a promise I made to God and he can see it. Now, there have been other times, right, when you don't get to that point where it's like, oh, well, it's been two days. And, you know, like for me, a lot of times my blood sugar will get so low because I don't have a ton of it in my liver. I know, shocker, but for whatever reason, my blood sugar is usually very low. Where I'm like, all right, Lord, can I at least have a little bit of juice? Like if I can't, like if I physically by the third day, I can't get out of bed. Like I get up and I fall down, literally fall down. My blood sugar is just so low. So for some of us that if you know your blood sugar gets low, that's why you start with a day, you start with two days, you see how your body responds. You might be like, okay, I'm going to fast, but by the third day, I'm going to just drink some chicken broth. Now, I do not enjoy chicken broth, so that's a good thing, you know, to have. Or if I literally am falling down, I'll have half a cup of juice. So there's all different ways you can fast. Most people just need to start with a day. And that means starting with a meal, starting with two meals, maybe a week later, getting yourself up to a day. If you just had the, the discipline of once a month for one day, for 24 hours, you didn't eat, and you just took that day and you prayed, you made sure it was a day that you had time where you could pray, where you could journal, talk to God, and, you know, you didn't have a wedding to attend or anything special like that, your body and your spirit and your flesh will become in alignment because you're taking time at least once a month to put that flesh down and to say, my emotions do not rule me, and I'm going to dedicate this time and pray and talk to God. Most of the time, the biggest temptation that comes once we can master the food thing is the not talking to God during the time, getting distracted, doing other things. Because Satan is always trying to tempt us. If he can't stop you from not eating, he'll try to stop you from praying and hearing God's voice during that time. Feasting is good, and I hope you all enjoyed your feasting. But fasting is just as important, if not more, in how it treats us physically and how it helps us with self-discipline and self-control. So I'm going to pray for all of you. I hope that this has been encouraging, even if you didn't want to hear it. But God knows what you need, right? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all the benefits your word reveals to us that we can have while we're here on earth. And something as simple as not buying McDonald's and uh, drinking some water and no-calorie things change our life so radically seems so simple but yet it's so hard our body our flesh our emotions have ruled us for so very long for many of us our flesh our emotions are the lord over our life through the lord over our bank accounts through the lord over our kitchens father god we really want you to be lord of every area of our life we want you to be our provider we want you to be our healer. We want you to be the comforter. We don't want food to be our comforter. We don't want 
our attitude to be our provider and how we have to you know, keep things just for ourselves. We want to be able to be a generous person, an obedient person, one that is guided by you. So we ask you, Father God, as we leave tonight, we ponder what you're telling us and what you're showing us from the scriptures, that if it is something for each one of us to do, that you reveal it to us. You, you don't let us forget about it. You remind us of it tomorrow and the next day and the next day until we take time to pray and seek you. And Father God, anyone here that leaves here, even if they just, you know, skip one meal and take the time they would have prepared and ate to pray and to seek you, I ask you to bless that. May, may their reward come from heaven. May you, Father God, intercede in their lives and on their behalf. But if they're able to take it from one meal to two to a full day, to maybe even more, I ask you, Father God, that you not only hear their cry and you give them guidance, but you reward them, Father God, and you begin to restructure the thought process they have and their emotions and how their emotions rule them and how you step up and become the Lord of their life. I ask that any of these moments of fasting bring healing to their body. May anything foreign that does not belong whether it's asthma cells or cancer cells or disease, that you bring total cleansing and healing to their body because they know what your word says and they know that you are the great physician and sometimes you use fasting to bring that healing. So we ask you, Father God, to bless each and every single person here. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. Will the blessing shop practical pantry is open if you need anything and we will all be here again next sunday night at six o'clock thank you